Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. As you know, we are just at that, well, it's it's actually, it's a great time of year. IndyCar is kicking off. Formula One is about to kick off. This is, you know, things are really starting to ramp up. Right now, everybody still has the fastest car on the grid, bar none. Well, yeah. Until the race happens. Until the race happens. Up in, no, up until the lights go out in Melbourne, everybody is all possible of winning the world championships. Um, however, mm-hmm. this is the second most anticipated show of the year. That is why people are really excited. Possibly. But we're not going to get to that part yet. We've got plenty to talk about. I would suggest that our people like take a break, go get something to drink, go to the bathroom because we're going to be strapping in for a long. This is an endurance but, but, episode. But but if you do that, make sure you put the show on pause first. <laughs> Don't run off and do all that stuff and let the show keep going. You're going to miss some really good stuff. Like we got the unique opportunity yesterday to drive a Fisker Karma. Yes, we did. Now, I got to say for a car that originally, and, and I don't know what the, the, the specification was of the one that we drove, but for a car that originally started with a retail price of $102,000, the car's a stinking turd. <laughs> <laughs> All right. From a distance. Yeah. She's pretty. Yeah. She's <laughs> got flowing lines and the curves where you want the curves to be. She's low and pretty, and when you sit in her, mm-hmm. she's really rather comfortable. Yeah. As long as it's not moving. Not running. Not running. And if it is running, you have to keep the windows closed because some genius thought it was a really good idea to have the exhaust come out of the car right in front of the driver and passenger side doors. So if you're sitting in a light and the car is idling and your windows are open, you're going to gas yourself. That's awful. <laughs> now, I don't know if this was a feature of the Fisker Karma, but I do have to make a comment about the interior of the one we drove. Oh, I thought you were going to go with, with the body parts that were falling apart. No. Oh. Okay, we knew that build quality was somewhere slightly lower than British Leyland in the mid-70s when all of the strikes were happening. So, yes, there was body panel that was not flush, things. Anything that there were two of, they didn't match. Um, But I need to talk about the leather in this car. Mm Mm-hmm. So the outside of the car was uh, like a sand, a metallic-y sand color. Yeah. The interior of this car was two shades, two shades of orange. Like no, they were one subdued. Was a tan they were... leather orange, and one was an orange. They, they were subdued. I mean, this this was not like the fluorescent orange that you get, you know, on some exterior cars. I mean, no. this was a bit no, more subdued. A, it, was, it was a grown-up orange. Yeah. But. The seats were comfortable, and I believe one of the comments that I made while driving this car was at least when you're sitting in the seat, you don't have to look at the seats. True. Um, now, it is an electric hybrid engine, gas yeah. hybrid. It's got a plug-in option. Yeah, it's plug-in hybrid. Um, and when I was doing my portion of the test drive, which was the first one, so the car was cold. Yeah. Um, 
it never switched over to full electrics. And, and we've heard buses that were quieter. Um, I think you kept describing it as a Mack truck. Um, it was weird. It was definitely weird, but never could get it into electric. It wasn't until you took it over on a warmer car that, I mean, now granted, the battery had, was in, I was charging the battery with braking yeah. the entire time I was doing it, and the battery had no charge when I turned the car on. Yeah. Um, it only had 40,000 miles on it. I don't remember how many years old it was. Um, but going from $102,000 down to $31,000. Highly concerned that the check engine light was on, and they said that there was a software update, but it was available in Troy. Michigan. Michigan. Now, our little sales guy, the one thing he did not know was that Fisker did not produce cars anymore. So, oh, did you ask him about that? No, he kept saying that the dealers, the closest dealership was in Troy. And I'm like, ah. yeah, but that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> um, he was 12. So, yeah. Now, by comparison, we also drove the Jaguar F Type R, <laughs> all wheel drive F Type R, um, with the V8 engine that featured so prominently not too long ago on Top Gear. Correct. Yeah. Much, much more impressive car. Michael is now going through our couch cushions looking for the, uh, what was that, retail $90,000? Well, this particular car was not. It was used, so it was listed for a bit less than that. But I think even you, if you could have come up with the cash, you would have bought it on the spot. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It was very, very nice. Um, now, it was an automatic. It was. So, you know, if I was going to go purchase one, I think I would want the standard. I don't know, because I ran it and, and used the flappy paddle gearbox with it, and it was a very enjoyable experience, especially on the off-ramps down shifting into third and making the exhaust pop a lot. Um, I did not flappy paddle gearbox the car. That, that was the first flappy paddle gearbox that I have driven that the car and I didn't have a difference of opinion in terms of what gear we should be in. If I placed it in a gear, it stayed in that gear, which unfortunately meant at one point that I was in first gear doing 7,000 RPM. But that that was brief. (laughs) We didn't do that for very long. Oh, the one thing I didn't tell you about the Fisker was the gear shift experience. Do you remember a game, the board game that we had when we were kids, the pop box? It had the pop. Trouble. Trouble with the Mm -hmm. popper thing. That was the gear shifting on the, on the Fisker. Um, it, it did. It looked exactly like the trouble box where you would push the button and dial a dice roll. Um, and the gear shifter for the Jag was the yacht-style gear shifting that the Audis have. Kind of, yeah. So basically, in summary, Fisker Karma... Steaming turd, don't waste your money. And uh, Jaguar F-Type R, as Ferris Bueller says, if you have the means, I highly encourage it. 
<laughs> yeah. So moving on. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Jenny Gao. Yes. And the fact that uh, she trying to figure out what she is going to be doing because she spends a lot of time doing stuff with ESPN and with BBC. She's been doing so far this year. She's been doing some uh, the the podcast, hosting the podcast for the previews for BBC for the season. Um, she is. We 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 asked her specifically what the plan is for this year, what she is going to be doing, and she responded. Yay. Um, Jenny says that she is doing the juggling act between both BBC and ESPN and uh, will be appearing on both. Both are very cooperative in allowing her to work for both outlets. Um, in terms of whether or not we will be seeing her uh, this year on ESPN in the U.S., she says stay tuned. So we'll see where that goes. Ooh, you know what I haven't had a chance to tell you? Okay. So right before this, we start recording, I have been watching the season opener to the IndyCar series at St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. And I saw an actual promo to the Formula One season on, it's actually, the IndyCar series was running on ABC today. Right. But it's ESPN on mm -hmm. ABC. And they did the ESPN promo bumper for Formula One. And wouldn't you know, the commentators commentated on it. Really? Yes, they did. What did they say? They wanted to know if it was going to be a Mercedes-Ferrari year or a Ferrari-Mercedes year. Okay. And um, they didn't – They the other guy, whoever the other guy was, said, <laughs> I don't know, but whatever it's going to be, it's going to be impressive. Okay. But I saw a promo. It was like it was real, and it had a British accent. Well, I would hope so if they brought up some of the Sky uh, presenters as part of that promo. Well, no, it, it was all graphics, and there oh. was an over, uh, over speaker uh, of <laughs> an announcer voice. But the announcer's voice had a British over accent. So. Okay. It, it made me happy. Don't judge me. Okay. The other thing, if you have not seen the announcements, and unfortunately we set this up after we finished recording last week, um, so we didn't have it as part of the show, but we have set up, we have established a league on Fantasy GP where you can go for free, sign up, do your own predictions for each race. Um, manage, in essence, your own team. You get to pick three drivers three and three cars or three teams, essentially. And throughout the year, you can go ahead and, and juggle between them and, and move stuff around as long as you're within budget to, you know, get the best standings possible. It, it's, for those who know what fantasy sports is, it's fantasy sports for Grand Prix. For me, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. But the budget's low at $75 million, So you really have to accept that you're going to have a back marker. You just got to deal with it. Well, the idea is to try and balance things out so that not everybody – so that you can't just turn around and, and pick Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel, and Lewis Hamilton, and, okay, that's it. I don't need to do anything else anymore. It's, it's the idea that you have some variety in there. Right. So um, it's free to sign up. Uh, once you sign up, and you can sign up by going to fantasygp.com. Uh, you sign yourself up, create your team, then go to leagues, 
and our league, that number is, give me one sec, our code is 148-31491. And uh, once you go ahead and join the league, you can take part in everything that we do. Now, the way this works is if you have a free account, um, you can't see what uh, other players' selections are until after the race. Um before the race, if you have a, if you pay it, and I think it's only like five pounds a year, it's not a lot of money. If you want to do that, you get to see a whole lot more. Um, there are prizes that Fantasy GP is offering for the folks who purchase a paid account. Although again, that's up to you. You don't need to do that to participate in the league. Um, for us, if you should happen to beat us, we'll mention your name on the show. Yeah. And we will be discussing every week what our selections are post-race yes so you get to choose your teams you get to choose your drivers and then there are predictions to be made going into the race itself pick the podium and i believe right now it's number of safety cars and number of cars that will finish the race yes uh fastest lap <coughs> podium um Safety cars, number of cars that finished the race. And I thought there was one more that I picked for Australia. Because I've already picked my predictions for Australia. Oh, I haven't done that yet. So, don't share them. That'll be... I'm not sharing. All right. Because you'll just copy off of me, and that won't be appreciated. I probably won't. But, come and join us over at Fantasy GP. So, moving on to actual news and stuff that's going on. You know, we just had... International Women's Day, not last week, but the week before. Uh, it was this past Thursday. Oh, it was this past Thursday. I was th for some reason, I was thinking before that. Well, going into International Women's Day, she didn't do it on the day. It was the start of the week. Carmen Jorda was commenting. And actually, it wasn't necessarily in relation to this. Last weekend at the Mexican Grand Prix, she was given the opportunity to test in a Formula E car. Okay. And was asked her opinion about it and if she felt that the Formula E car is easier to drive for women. Oh. So this is what Carmen had to say. She said, I think so. It's a less physical car than in Formula One because of the downforce and because of the power steering as well. So yes, for sure. The challenge that we women have in Formula Two and Formula One is a physical issue. And I think in Formula E, we won't have it. It's not for me to decide what's good for women or not in sport. But in my experience, I can say Formula One, not all the other championships, karting, Formula Three, GT, I think women are capable of good results in all the, those series. In Formula One and Formula Two, there is a barrier that is a physical issue. I think there is a big issue for women, and that's why there aren't any in those championships. She added, we have to consider Formula E as a very high-level championship. You can see all the drivers who are here. The car that I have tested is not a super difficult car to drive, but there are so many different things that you have to learn to manage. It's a challenging championship. It's a high level in motorsport. To have a woman here, Formula E already has some women here, so why not to have more? So what do you think? All I can hear in my head mm -hmm. is Susie Wolf, because to me, I feel that she is the true expert on women in <clears throat> motorsports. And she always said 
that the car was the equalizer between men and women, even at the Formula One level. So she said, if Susie said that if you were in good shape, you could manage the physical nature of the sport, even at the Formula One level. Well, I didn't hear directly from Susie. Susie's been kind of quiet on social media lately. Well, she's got the a rest, to take care of. The rest of the internets basically collectively had their heads explode. Oh, okay. Um, Along the same lines that I just had? From Danica Patrick to, um, oh, what's her face who drives an Indy 500 every year? Pippa Man. Pippa Man, who not only had her head explode but showed a picture of her working out. Um, even Jensen Button's like, um, I, I've met Danica Patrick and – she's pretty dang tough and she can give me a run for my money. And this is not just, uh, you know. Isn't Carmen Jordan supposed to be like the women's ambassador to the sport for some strange reason? Well, not for the sport, but she's on the council that is supposed for the FIA to encourage more women to participate in motorsport. I don't think she's a good choice. Yeah. So a, a lot of people kind of, collectively blew their gaskets over Carmen's comments. So a few days later, she spoke again. Oh, no. No, no, no. Did somebody write her comments for her this time? No, she released a statement that said, On Saturday after testing a Formula E car before the Mexico E-Prix, I spoke to several journalists about the experience. During one interview, I was asked to compare driving a Formula E car to a Formula One car, and then specifically whether Formula E is easier for women to compete in than Formula One. Having some experience of both cars, I gave my personal opinion that driving a Formula E car presents less of a physical challenge than Formula One because of the lower downforce. I also referred to there being a physical issue for women in Formula One, something which has created considerable debate over the last few days, including from many prominent women within our sport. I would like to thank fellow drivers for sharing their opinions and respect their views greatly. I am sorry if my comments appeared to speak for all women and created all confusion, as I was reflecting merely on my own personal experience. I never intended to discourage other women from competing at the pinnacle of our sport or say that they physically cannot. My comments were purely a response to a direct question asking, do you think Formula E would be easier for women? As a member of the FIA's Women in Motorsports Commission, I am committed to encouraging more women to become involved in our sport, both on and off the track, and celebrating those who are achieving great results. As such, I would like to extend my congratulations to Tatiana Calderon, who was announced as a Formula One test driver at Sauber. So, yeah, if she had come out and she had said, for me, yes, there's a physical barrier and Formula E makes better sense, I don't think most people would have had the collective freak out. But that's not how I read her comment. It's not how I read her comment either. And she could have stopped her comment based on if you are asking, is Formula E easier to drive than Formula One? Then the answer is yes. And these are the mm -hmm. reasons. Is it easier for women? Well, if it is easier, period, then it is easier for women. It is also easier for the men in the sport. Mm -hmm. So full stop there. Had she stopped there, she would have been perfectly okay. 
The minute she turned around and said, there is a physical barrier at Formula One and Formula Two, she crossed the line. Yeah. And I'm sorry, if Danica Patrick or Pippa Mann is going to be able to kick your butt, (laughs) then you need to rethink your life choices. Uh, I, I, I don't know about that, but okay. I don't think she's in the position she should be in. I think she needs to well, rethink her life choices. That's different. Because Danica Patrick and Pippa <clears throat> Mann can kick your butt. <laughs> okay, then. I would so hold Pippa Mann's helmet. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and tell me that you don't, like, picture Pippa in your head, like, when she goes off. Because she has gone off on a few of the Carmen Jordan comments. She has. That you just don't see her hand doing the little swirl thing and her head kind of moving to the side. You're like, hold up, chick. I, actu- actually, no, I don't because she's British. I don't care. I see her doing <laughs> it. I, it's just, it's, I see her becoming all attitude. Okay. But it still doesn't mean I'm going to wear a pink sparkly, sparkly shirt to support Pippa. I like her. I really do like her. But I can't get past the bad merchandising that I think she has. Okay. Moving on. FIA has announced a new championship, the FIA Formula 3 championship, which will be promoted by Formula 1. Okay. Um, slots in, as you would expect, below Formula 2, so this is further fleshing out the ladder. Um, but this is a new championship that I guess is going to replace GP3. Which seems logical <clears throat> since they replaced GP2 with Formula 2. Yeah. Now they're going down further. I mean, this seems a logical step. Yeah. So it'll be made up of a grid of a maximum of 30 cars. The championship is planned to run between nine events with two races per event. Um, the new car will integrate... All the the safety features that we've expected, which means you'll probably see the halo. Um, We we, we see that in Formula 2 this year. Uh, Increased chassis strength, increased cockpit rim height, and strength that will be the same standard as in F1. Uh, And it'll be the first car to feature a frontal anti-intrusion panel. Frontal anti-intrusion panel. That that's what it says. Um, cost control is going to be obviously a big deal. There's going to be uh, some common components and limited regulated testing, as well as limitations on trackside personnel and the use of electronics and sensors. Interesting. So, the ladder is forming up again. I think it's a good thing. I really do. Yeah. Well, you need that a known development chain for these drivers to follow through but that does go contrary against the argument that you and i keep having about the fact that formula one doesn't test drivers that are excelling in other sports and now that other series other series um but now that they're really and truly very much fleshing out this ladder you know that that means that that's going to continually narrow the pool of people that they're going to be looking at. It does, but it also makes it more defined that if your goal is Formula One as opposed to uh, DTM or IndyCar, this is the direction you need to go Mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, I'm going to do whatever I can to get into an open wheel 
and see if I can make my way across that way. I would think that given what people know about the ascension process, that if they know that their goal is Formula One, that they're going down the paths of doing that. Um, I mean, that's why Alexander Rossi lived in Europe for yeah. so long and went through the card went up through the carding stages. I think that that's I think what your real argument is is that once somebody sees success in a different series that is of a similar ilk to Formula One. There is not an understanding or an appreciation that maybe they could make the jump. It's one thing to say, oh, well, Alonzo can drive an Indy car. Yeah. But we're not seeing, you know, who shot John from uh, Indy car coming over to test in a Formula One car. Which What's his number, by the way? <laughs> Speaking of numbers in IndyCar, yes, I think we mentioned this, but Alexander Rossi's number changed this year, which yes. makes all my swag has to change. I'm very upset by this. Yes, you you, you look heartbroken. I have to buy new T-shirts. Still has his name on it. Yeah, but it says Rossi 98, and now he's 27. Yeah, 27 or 23. I think it's 27. Okay, I'm gonna have to do duct tape over the 98 or something. That won't look. That one won't look ghetto or anything. Well, the the thing to keep in mind, though, is that with IndyCar, their merchandise is affordable. <laughs> True. You don't need to take out a second mortgage just because somebody changed their number or their team. Right, but I also have his car in my cube at the office and his minifig, and how many of those things do I have to change? Okay. Well, you you know what? Send him a tweet and let him know the problem gonna have to tell him that yeah when i meet him at mid-ohio i you know would like him to comp me some swag send him a tweet and let him know <laughs> you do that so more talk about liberty so liberty and we talked about this a couple of months ago is looking at ways to make the calendar more efficient so what they wanted to do is um, basically group the Grand Prix into regional cr clusters so that you didn't have the stupid of, okay, this weekend is a race in Montreal, and then in two weeks we'll see in Azerbaijan that's going to take you a week and a half just to get out there. Right. Because you can't get there from here. Well, they, they wanted to sort the calendar out to make it a whole lot better. Uh, hopefully to do that in 2019 – they've realized that, yeah, it's not quite as easy as they wanted it to be. And it has big risk. Well, it, it's not just that. Without even looking at the other stuff, for starters, um, Australia is very insistent on being the season opener. Mm -hmm. Abu Dhabi is very insistent on being the season finale. So there's a problem right there. And you've got other things like Monaco has a very specific weekend that it runs. Mm -hmm. And Canada happens to have a very specific weekend that it runs. Yes. And then there are other areas, uh, other uh, tracks that just outside of certain periods of the year, the weather is just not conducive to having a race. I mean, to, to head down to Texas uh, end of June, early July, that is not necessarily a fun time to be in Texas. No. Um, same thing with Mexico, too, is that's when, you know, the hottest time of the year, that's why those races are sitting where they are. Yeah. Um, 
sense. So we don't know what's going to happen at this point. Sean Bratches says, from an aspirational standpoint, I am an optimist, but I'm also a realist. And based on some of the contractual commitments we have and based on weather issues, it will be a while before we can get there, if we can at all. We're trying to point the ship in that direction, which will be much more efficient for fans because we can navigate them for a period of time in the same time zone. It will also be more efficient for F1 to avoid the expensive traveling, and it will also create opportunities from a sponsorship standpoint because if somebody wants to activate in Europe or the Americas or Asia, it is difficult to do as we bounce all around right now. Um, also, up in the air is what they're going to do about extending the schedule out. Uh, Chase Carey is now starting to play down the likelihood of a 25-race schedule. Um, he does think that that's about the most that the calendar can accommodate is 24 of, or 25 events. Um, but it's not clear whether or not they'll get there, whether or not the teams really want that number of events. I mean, that's a lot of races. And just to kind of put it in perspective, mm -hmm. at 25 races, you are talking <clears throat> slightly less than one every other weekend in a calendar year. Yeah. Because there's 52 weeks in a year. Half of that is 26. And, so, they, and they can't do every other weekend. Right. And every weekend can be pushing it. I mean, you're going to crush the teams. And as they've realized, they have to have that midseason break. They have to have the midseason break. They need to have the winter off to well, – off with giant air quotes around it to do development and build the next year's car. Well, they have to have it off from a racing perspective, not from an engineering and design perspective. Although, as we saw two weeks ago, have testing too early and that's its own problem. Right. And then you've got the other issues of snow on the track in Barcelona. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think 25 was a little crazy. But my big question out of your story... Mm-hmm. Is, is it Sean Bratches the optimist or Sean Bratches the realist that causes the eyebrows? I don't know the, the cause of the eyebrows. I, I cannot I, I don't know. Are those eyebrows that. optimistic or are they realistic? I cannot speculate on that. I still hold that the reason you do not have a prominent position in uh, Liberty Media is that you do not have... Um, creative facial hair true it is holding your career back we need to discuss this okay well when they accept my resume with a picture we'll go from there okay. um so the the races that are on liberty's target list denmark we've heard talk about holland um argentina we know they've been sniffing around Miami seems to be warming up as a potential location, although it doesn't sound like Miami's really all that interested, but it sounds like Formula One's interested. But the other one that's popped up now is Vietnam. Interesting. And, you know, I, I question the, the reason for looking at Vietnam. Why? Because it's not a nation that's known for having a motorsport culture. It's not a nation that I believe really has any kind of auto racing whatsoever. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any kind of auto racing whatsoever. I mean, it's like, oh, I don't know, bringing a Grand Prix to Azerbaijan. 
I can understand going to China. To some extent, I can understand going to Malaysia. Even India, I, I, I can understand going to. But Vietnam? I just, I, I, I don't see the logic in what Vietnam as a country brings to Formula One or to motorsport motor in general. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know enough about Vietnam to be able to say that they've got a motorsport culture or heritage. <clears throat> I know that it's popping up as a greater and greater vacation location for people. Um, and so yeah. some of the visuals could be pretty stunning. But I think that um, one of the things that Formula One does tend to try to do is push those boundaries. And there's something about popularizing the sport with a Grand Prix in a country that, you know, could they build a culture around it? It'd be an interesting pull, but it would be work, I'm assuming. Yeah. So Kevin Magnuson, some Kevin. driver stuff. Um, I think we have a little more insight now into why he decided to sign with Haas. And it wasn't just a matter of they were the ones who had an open seat. Oh. Um, a couple of years ago when he was with McLaren when and his future was in doubt, he came very close to kicking off an IndyCar campaign. He wants to do IndyCar. He wants to drive in the 500, um, but the one thing is he said, or the one thing he says is he would never put aside Formula One to do it. Um, he wants to drive in the Indy 500, but he believes it should be part of a bigger IndyCar campaign and not just a one-time shot into the Indy 500. So we could possibly see Kevin make that shift over to IndyCar. Interesting. Yeah. So remember last week we were talking about uh, the new guidance that came from the FIA regarding engine parity and software and all of that stuff. And Christian Horner, uh, his responses to why this came out was, was that folks should go talk to Claire Williams. Yes. Um, Claire Williams issued a statement. She did. Yes, she did. Um, it says, contrary to comments made recently in the press, we refute any suggestion that we have questioned the parity of the power units provided by Mercedes AMG HPP. We are absolutely confident that the power units used by Mercedes, Force India, and ourselves are identical in terms of both hardware and software. We have an excellent per professional and personal relationship with Mercedes, and our focus is firmly on continuing the good work that we have started as we prepare for the final test in Barcelona this week ahead of the new season. So in other words, it wasn't us, man. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed at all that it was a Mercedes issue. I still maintain that somebody tattled on Ferrari because Ferrari's known for making those kinds of weirdnesses. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not completely sure who was the, the one who triggered the FIA to put forward their guidance, but it wasn't Williams. We have the French Grand Prix this year, the return of the French Grand Prix. Oui, oui. And as part of the return of the French Grand Prix, there will be a return of at least one, possibly two, bygone Formula One tra uh, traditions. Um, 
word is that the winner of this year's French Grand Prix will take a traditional lap of honor after the race. Nice. Um, also, it is being considered, it has not been confirmed yet, but it is being considered to reintroduce the use of laurel wreaths on the podium. I kind of miss them. Now, according to um, uh, racefans.net, they say the drivers stopped wearing the wreaths on the podium partly following concerns they obscured sponsor logos. Okay. And that the victory laps were phased out as they cut into the availability of drivers to conduct post-race interviews. Well, that's why, but... Yeah. Doesn't mean that those pictures aren't kind of more visually stunning with the wreath around their neck and yeah i mean i kind of think that they take a victory lap as it is but yeah you, it, it kind of does feel like the cool down lap is that but i think this may be that that opportunity for the driver to you know wave the flag and do some of the other stuff that the fia said yeah no don't, don't do that <laughs> during cool down lap you shouldn't be doing that so maybe that's what this is I want more people riding on the side of the uh, Formula One cars that the FIA says don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you catch the story this past week, or maybe it was the week before that, about the woman who, or, or the, the – actually, I think it was a guy. They were a little unclear on it. But about the report that this – the oldest ever – uh message in a bottle was found on a beach in Australia. And at the note inside of it was supposedly um, a note related to, or something that a German oceanographic ship had tossed over as part of a research project that they were doing back in the 1800s. Yes, and it was this past week, not two weeks ago. Wow, have you lost time? And well, so, some of these things because of when I, grabbed them i didn't remember whether this was a reaction to a story in the previous week or not no. so yeah, this was this past week um and i wanted to say it was even older than the 1800s but it could have been the 1800s but it was part of a re it was supposed to be part 1866. of 1866 part of a research project looking at ocean currents Yes. And was this a, was an unrecovered bottle from that. Yeah, it was a German ship that was in the Indian Ocean. It tracked the bottle into the water to track currents. Well, there's been some question as to the authenticity of the story. Really? Well, it seems that the couple that found the bottle was Ta uh, Tanya and Kim Ilman. Joining them when they found the bottle, because it was while they were walking on the beach, but part of the group that was walking on the beach was also Joe and Grace Ricardo, oh. parents of one Daniel Ricardo. Honey Badger himself. Yes. Um, the group was walking on, an, on a beach on, uh, on Wedge Island, is the name of it, on January 21st, when I guess Kim says he found the bottle. Mm -hmm. and originally they were going to throw it away, but they thought that it looked kind of cool because of the coloring and stuff, and wasn't until they had gotten home and pulled the note out that they saw that it was from the 1800s. Where the question has come about the authenticity of the note is that Kim Illman is known for being 
um, a guerrilla marketer down in Australia, specifically around promoting property on Wedge Island. Ah. So there is some question, given the amount of publicity around this, as to whether or not this is actually a stunt that Kim is pulling. Mm. Now, Kim denies this. Um, the, the methodology, while nobody, I guess, has actually gotten their hands on it to do carbon dating or acid testing or anything like that to validate the um, authenticity of the note that is in there, they claim that they managed to get their hands on the logbook from the ship that this was from and validated that this was a note that was from the ship based on the logbook. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. There's our Formula One connection. Odd. So should we talk about testing? Sure. Gets us ever closer to the predictions, right? That's what you want, huh? I want predictions. Okay. Well, um, Mercedes did not run the Ultrasoft tires at all. The Ultrasofts or the Hypersofts? The, uh, I don't think they... They definitely didn't run the Hypers. Um, they may, I, I may be wrong on that. They may have done a couple of laps on the hypers or, or, or the ultras rather, but they've got concerns about the softer compounds in general with their car. Oh. They have figured out, I guess, how to get the mediums and the hards to work extremely well. But what Valtteri Bottas is saying is that on the softs, uh, they're having some blistering issues. So there's cons- now last year they were having blistering on the harder compounds and they just weren't running well on the softer compounds. Um, they seem to be running quite well on the harder compounds, but they haven't done a whole lot of testing on the softer compounds, but they have seen blistering on the softs. Interesting, because there's no chance that they're going to run the hards. I mean, that's just not a compound that will be run. Yeah. Um yeah, something like they were talking this week about there's like 12 compounds of tires. And the truth is we're not going to see anything but the the two softest that are available at any uh, race. And I think we don't see the hypersofts come up until Canada. Yeah, that's what I heard is Canada will be the first time we'll see the hypersofts, which in a way I was kind of surprised that we weren't going to see them at maybe Monaco first. Because hmm. Monaco is usually we get the super softs for that. So, well, yeah. Did they pull out the Snuggle Bear tire for Monaco last year? I don't remember. Oh, speaking of Monaco, mm-hmm. um, I was reading some tech reporting because you know that's me um, about the car design between Ferrari and Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And we know that Monaco last year, the big talk was how much longer Mercedes' wheelbase is than yes. any other car, and that that's what hampers it in Monaco, but it is such a great thing in other mm-hmm. places. Well, do you want to know the other car that has extended their wheelbase? Ferrari did. They did. And they are running almost essentially the same length and wheelbase as the Mercedes this year. Um, but this was the stunning fact that really knocked me on my bottom. They talk so much about this long wheelbase. Mm-hmm. How, how much longer it is than the other car. It's only like an inch or two. It's 14 centimeters. Yeah. <laughs> Four centimeters <laughs> not very much i think my basic math says that it's it's not just an inch or two because 14 centimeters is probably around six inches two oh i don't half. think it's that big it's two and a half centimeters to the inch okay 
So two would be seven. It might be it might be four inches, four to six inches, without my calculator. Okay. Somebody that like works in science that deals with the metric is screaming at their their podcast. At right least now. one. I can do this in my head, man. You guys are idiots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Okay. I didn't do the maths. I'm just saying that <laughs> I was a little stunned. <laughs> That it was 14 centimeters. I, I kept expecting it to be, you know, like, oh, it's a whole meter different or something. Yeah. Oh, 14 centimeters is the difference. But Ferrari has lengthened their wheelbase. Um, but they did both. The two design choices that they did make were Ferrari um, con- kept with its rake that it has traditionally had, mm-hmm. which is the angle of the floor to Actually, the I, I, from what I was reading, Ferrari's got a bit more rake than they have in the past. Right, but Mercedes does <clears throat> not, they do not do the high rake. So Ferrari right. does a high rake, and Mercedes has done a low rake traditionally, and they kept that difference between the two. Mm-hmm. But Ferrari's, the copy that Ferrari has done is to lengthen their wheelbase. Okay. Um, McLaren. Tech portion of the... Well, we have McLaren. And how is McLaren doing? Well, they did not hit their mileage targets again. No, they did not. Um, in terms of difficulties with the car, they still had quite a bit. Um, unfortunately, this year, they really don't have their engine provider to blame. <laughs> um, on day one alone, there were... Uh, three failures on the car that took them off the track and had them losing time. That was just on the first day. Mm. Um, on day one, there were two failures caused by a battery problem, a third that was a loss of hydraulic pressure. Um, it wasn't until, I think, the last day that they finally got some race distances in and they were able to put in 100 laps and finally broke that barrier. Wow. Now... Word is, when the car is running, it has good pace. The problem is the reliability issues. And from the descriptions of what's going on, these are self-inflicted problems. These are not problems with Renault and what Renault has done. Um, They're having issues with... um, Exhaust gases and, and, and routing of that, um, that they're, they're not necessarily properly cooling the engine. They've had some body work get uh, damaged from the heat because of it. Um, basically, they've got things too tight. They, they added a couple of extra slots on the rear end to bring in cooling, and they're still seeing charring going on around it. Mm. Um, they had a turbo issue at one point during the week. They've been having electrical problems. Um, this is not engine manufacturer stuff this is stuff on mclaren's side um now fernando alonso because you know this is still early in the season and he hasn't gotten totally frustrated with them um he says that the issues are under control um that you know we're we're pushing the car this is testing we want these problems to manifest themselves now and we need to see that and that's what this is um he goes from a team point of view we are more or less okay Unfortunately, we keep discovering small things every day, but it's putting us in a strong position for Australia in the way we are reinforcing how to fix all the small issues. Um, McLaren says that, you know, this is 
we're ambitious in our design. Eric Boulier defends us. He says, you know, we want to be competitive, and in order to be competitive, you have to be ambitious. We have an ambitious design around the car, and you can see that the car is a little bit different from the other Renault engine cars. So far, we had minor issues, but I think it was because we didn't do a good enough job to prepare the car. We were a little bit stretched in terms of lead time and delay, but these are our issues. Very quickly, we are going to get back to normal. Um, he says that uh, they can't guarantee that they will be on top of their reliability issues before Australia, though. Um, he says not 100% because we have not run as much as we wanted, so there will be a higher risk of failure somewhere. Nonetheless, we don't have... We had only minor issues, which were all different. A good rebuild of the car for Australia will help us fix a few issues. So, yeah, we'll see. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Renault was testing a new wing, a new front wing. Uh, they've had really good results with it, so we will be seeing that wing in Australia. Yay for um, new wings! There's also some question about what Renault is doing with their exhaust. Um, remember, blown exhausts are illegal. You're not supposed to be blowing your exhaust across aerodynamic bits to gain an aerodynamic advantage. There is some question as to Renault is actually doing that with the design of their exhaust and whether or not they're blowing it across the, the, the rear wing. Um, Renault has said that, well, we're not doing that, and the, the aerodynamic gain that we get from this particular configuration is minimal. <laughs> we're not doing anything illegal, and if we were, it's not gaining us anything. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um. Overall, in terms of testing and, and, and qualifications and, and where things ended up, in terms of the most laps completed by driver, um, Roman Grosjean put down 181 laps in the Haas. They were very much, the pundits were very much talking about that Haas was sort of a, a sleeper hit. Yeah, they, they were really surprised at how well the Haas has been doing. Um, his fastest time put the Haas in fifth, on the ultra softs mm -hmm. and uh just over one second down on Kimi Raikkonen in the hyper softs now and that's the key that they keep quoting is that he put that down on ultras and Kimi was on hypers right now there has been a lot of talk over the fact that not just Kimi's time on the hypers which broke a track record mm -hmm. the day before Vettel went out and also broke a track record in the Ferrari on hypersofts. And initially, everybody was like, whoa, with that reminder of, wait a minute, this was done on the hypers. Right. So we think the Ferraris maybe, from, from the folks who are watching the cars at the track, they think the Ferraris may be closer what they don't necessarily think is that the Ferraris are better than the Red Bull. And there's a lot of talk that watching the from watching the performance, if you take away the times and just watch how the cars were handling through the tracks, it still looks like this is Mercedes, but then the Red Bull seems to be up there, then the Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the folks are saying that the way the Haas performed, if that time is real, the Haas may be ahead of the Ferrari. Wow. 
Wow. That would be stunning. Now, Grosjean said, don't read too much into it. You know, everybody's sandbags at this point. Yeah, we don't know what the fuel loads were. Right. He said, don't read too much into it. However, what he did say was that one of the things that Haas had struggled a lot with last year that they seem to have finally started to understand is how to deal with the tires. And he felt like they were finally making some strides in an area that had really suffered in the past year. I mean, remember, this was a team that came out and beat what their expectations were in points within the first the first, first race yeah. of their first year. And that was their expectation of points for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And then they had a dismal second year, which I think is kind of normal. Well, I don't think it was dismal. I mean, dismal they, by comparison. But they were by so comparison, yes. Positive in year but one. They were not, they they were not a backmarker. They are not a backmarker. And for a team that is this young to come in with no experience whatsoever other than what they have imported from other teams, um, their their other race experience is in NASCAR. For them to come in and be solidly in the mid-pack, that's an accomplishment in in and of itself. I think you're right. I think that that is. But... Compared to expectations, they had a really rough year, too. Yeah. And so I'm thrilled to hear that they are making headway into some of the things that had plagued them. Now, for the Mercedes, um, they ended up pretty squarely middle of the pack in terms of times. And actually, Lewis um, was much slower. He was actually down. He set the 11th fastest time out of 12 drivers to to set times. Mm Mm-hmm. He did so, though, on the, on the softs. Right. And the thing is, in terms of what Mercedes tends to do in testing is that they don't necessarily look to set blistering lap times. They look to set really high lap counts. Right. And they got some significant – and Lewis didn't, but Valtteri did get some good lap counts over the, the full week. So they tend to test for endurance, at yeah. least my experience. Reliability and endurance. Reliability and endurance over <clears throat> blistering speeds, because I believe that Mercedes has confidence that they can hit the speeds. Um, Toro Rosso, on the other hand, is going. Um, we think that there's more here than anybody was thinking with the Hondas. Um, they think that it is highly probable that they will be getting points out of this car from race one really yes now not necessarily a lot of points but they see points coming with this car we have not had and and i don't know well actually we we really haven't heard anything about reliability issues with the honda this through testing interesting yeah it remains to be seen, but given the other things that are plaguing McLaren right now, it would not surprise me if they had said all their problems were Honda and it was masking some of the other issues that were inherent within the McLaren. Well, yes and no, because what, what we don't know is if the design of the McLaren 
and, and, and we knew in the first couple of years that the design of the McLaren was part of the problem. But if the design of the McLaren has been an ongoing contributing factor to the reliability of that engine, because you cannot deny that the engine was not reliable, especially last year. Yeah. And that was a major weakness because you cannot score points if you cannot finish the race. Well, right. But here's my <clears throat> question. You know, look at the list of things that plagued McLaren from testing this this past mm -hmm. couple of weeks. It's thing like the turbocharger went. There was an electrical problem. They had a pound bolt that went on them. Yeah, you know all of those little like weird things. But I'm thinking let's let's just pick up the electrical issue that they had. If you have an electrical issue in your car, don't you think that it is at least possible? that it might affect the engine? It could, depending on what that problem was. And I don't know what it is, and I don't mm -hmm. know all these things, but I'm, I'm saying that I know, what I do know for an absolute fact is that the F1 car is an integrated body of circuits, engines, and parts. They all work together for a common goal. When one of them is not working to its fullest extent, it does affect the others. So I... I, my supposition is that, yes, Honda has probably been trying desperately to figure out reliability on their engine, but some of the contributing factors to their unreliability could have been errors and issues with the car, the greater car. But the thing that kept breaking was the engine, so everybody looked at it as the smoking <coughs> gun, yeah. and nobody noticed or was worried about you know some charring on some electrical wires that was right next to something. That might have shorted something. Uh, you know, else. you know that that may be some of it, but it was a car that was down on pace and down on mm -hmm. reliability, and they knew that even before the engine was put in the car, there were reliability problems with the engine, and that was independent of anything that they did in the car. So, yeah, McLaren could have made it worse. That's what I'm suggesting. But it started with a dog to begin with, right? They had a mutt. They weren't going to turn a mutt into a purebred. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. But I'm wondering if the mutt had, you know, one purebred parent and one... It had two mutt parents versus a purebred parent and a mutt parent. You know, that kind of a thing. Okay. Um, in terms of where the car seems to be performing when it works. Now, again, admittedly, this was on the hyper soft tires. However... Fernando Alonso set a 117.784. By comparison, the record-setting time by Kimi was, was a 117.221 with a difference of just 0.563 of a second. Both of those times were set on hypersofts. So it has potential. It has potential. And at one point, with um, six minutes left in the final practice fernando actually set a one minute 16.720 which was the fastest time by far at that point um that shocked everybody however that came because he had to uh clip the chicane to avoid charles leclerc who had spun out in his sauber and it sounds so like the sauber despite that it's got good power now um the chassis may suck and it, um, word is that it may be difficult to handle. Oh. Yeah. So we'll see. 
but they only ran about 58% of the laps run by Mercedes over at McLaren. So I don't know if they have figured this out or what, but it does sound like if the car runs, it's going to run better. That would be nice. So, yeah, that's what we know. So based on that, it is now time for the predictions. My favorite show of the year. So for this show, this part of the show, we do what we always do for the predictions, and we have invited in the boy to participate and share his insight as well into what he sees happening for the season. We've got a lot of questions to, to ask for the season and a lot of predictions. So should we just jump right in? Yes. Okay. What is the first question? The first one is the easy one, the default one. Maybe it's not so easy. Who will win the Drivers' Championship? Well, you obviously know what I'm going to say. Vettel. Okay. Hamilton. Yeah, I'm hard-pressed to say anybody but Lewis. Well, I'm taking a distinctively different uh, viewpoint from one of the commentators on uh, Five Live who said it would be Alonzo. Well, you know, that that's definitely um an ambitious choice. It was a it was an out of the box choice, but I, I believe that we should stick with momentum. I think it's gonna be a Mercedes and I don't think that Botas has got the he's not quite to the point of challenging Lewis. So your prediction for construction constructors is Mercedes then? Oh yes. Okay. Constructors obviously for me is Ferrari. Ferrari I think he bleeds yeah. red. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to decide whether I I go out of the box here and go with Red Bull or go with Mercedes. It depends on if you want to win or not. Ooh. (laughs) I'm going to stay with Mercedes. Um, So the next question. Our traditional question. We have to ask this every year until it <laughs> finally comes true because it's going to happen at some point. Is this the year Kimmy retires? Well, what the question is, and, and, and we're, we're going to go with a bunch of different potential ways that this could play out. But the question is, will Kimmy leave Formula One this year? Now, retired, replaced, and fired are all acceptable, ans- or all acceptable answers for this question. So any of those possibilities. I am going to stick with my traditional yes. <laughs> I am going to stick with my traditional no. I'm going with yes. Guy's going to turn 40 this year. It is time, Kimmy. So now a harder question. Will Valtteri Botas get his Mercedes contract renewed for 2019? Yes. Okay. Yes. See, this is one I'm a little conflicted on. Because I got to kind of wonder that if uh, Daniel Ricciardo doesn't sign for Red Bull, would Mercedes try and pull him across? Because I think that there would be a bidding war for Daniel. 
I, I think that that's a possibility. However, I know because Toto and I talk. <clears throat> oh, do you? Um, we do. Uh, I know that Toto is very concerned about the team dynamics, and it's good for Lewis to have Valtteri on the team. It is. And because that dynamic is so good, um, I think Toto would be remiss. He would be very hard-pressed to upset the apple cart. Okay. I'm. You know what? I'm going to make my answer yes if Ricardo isn't on the market. Because that's my prediction, is that if Mercedes can get their hands on Daniel Ricardo, they're going to take him. And they'll let Valtteri go. But if they can't get Ricardo, they'll keep Valtteri. Okay. That's my prediction. So this next one was a question. Um, I already had it on my list, but Phil submitted it as well. So we're giving Phil some credit for, for putting this in. The question is, who will score more points in 2018? Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricardo? Ricardo will. Verstappen. Okay, I think Ricardo will as well. And that may be just because I like Ricardo a little better than Max. I don't know. All right. Next question. Who will finish higher in the standings? McLaren or Renault? McLaren. Yeah, I think McLaren too. Renault. Arcturian, aren't you? Well, last year and the year before that, my, I was um, the star predictor. My predictions, I was the one who predicted the most correct things. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. I beat you by one. <laughs> no, not last year. I beat you by one. All right. So next up, who will finish higher, the Haas or the Alphab? Hands down. All Haas all the way. Who's Alphab Sauber? Oh. Alfa Romeo Alfa Romeo Sauber. Alphab. Um, I will probably say Sauber. And I say Haas. I was, you know, originally when I wrote this, I was originally thinking that Sauber had a chance. And then they had kind of that dismal test, too, and, and kind of tossed it out. And Leclerc put it in a wall. Yeah. So, next one. Who will finish higher? McLaren or Force India or whatever Force India changes their name to, if they change their name to? Because I didn't want McLaren to just win by default if Force India changes their name. So I wanted to specify on this. This is a hard one, isn't it? My body's saying McLaren, and I can envision it, but usually whatever I envision is always wrong. So I'm going to say um, Force India. Okay. I'm going with Force India. I'm going with McLaren. All right, but keeping on the whole McLaren trend. Are all the questions about where McLaren's going <laughs> to end up? No. No, they're not. Are they going to be about whether or not McLaren's drivers are going to be retiring? Wait. 
The question is, will a McLaren driver get a podium this year? No. Yes. I'm going to go with yes also. Because, one, there's a big difference between podium and race win. Exactly. And two, um, if the car is performing well, and if it is close to being competitive with a Red Bull, I think podiums are certainly within reach. Now, whether or not that Stoffel on a podium is a whole other story, but I didn't want to go there. I just wanted to go with, would any McLaren driver get on a podium this year? And not the, up. Oh, it's qualifying, let's go sneak up there and, and get our picture taken, because why not? Just, you know, throw that out there. You mean it has to be an earned podium, not just to go stand on the podium? It, well, it, it depends on what your definition of earned is. In that, you know, in terms of in, in terms first, of second or third position, in terms of you finished the race, but all the cars in front of you blew up, which is why you ended up on a podium. Some people might not consider that an earned podium. That's I why I consider that an earned podium just as much as, you know, the year Rosberg won the world championship. I don't think he was the best driver on the grid that year, but, you know. <clears throat> OK. So the next question. Yeah. Will a team other than a than Ferrari, Red Bull, or Mercedes win a race this year? Hmm, that's a tough one. That well, that was kind of my goal for all of these. Is I didn't want them to be really easy. No. Boy says no. I'm saying no. Also, I say yes. Care to? say who i don't yeah. know but i just have a feeling that we're gonna see some dark horse win a race and it's gonna happen at like some crazy one where you know it's the one it's the race where everybody has to take grid penalties and it's the <laughs> one team that didn't have to take grid penalties and we suddenly see a force india win something or something like that one race when um Maldonado won because hamilton had a grid penalty i believe yeah, you are stuck on Maldonado's wins. Get over it. The guy doesn't even race in the sport I'm anymore. I'm not obsessed with Maldonado. Okay. That's just too much. Next question. Yeah. Will Fernando Alonso leave Formula One in 2016? Yes. Yes. No, we're, uni we're unanimous on that one. We all think that this is his last year. Will Daniel Ricciardo leave Red Bull in 2018? And if so, where will he go? No. So you say no. No. I say if he goes, he goes to Mercedes. Um, but everybody else says no, huh? Yep. Okay. Another hard one. You realize you don't get a point, by the way, unless he goes and goes to Mercedes. Yes, I, I, I get I just that. just want to make sure that you're very clear on that because yeah. if he goes and goes to Ferrari, you don't get the point. Yeah, I know. I, I get that. I, I'm, that's my, I don't think that, that he's going to want to go up against Seb again. Mm. Or Seb's going to want him 
as a teammate. Interesting. I, I, I think there's that dynamic there, one of the two. Okay, so the next one. Who will score more points, Esteban Ocon or Sergio Perez? The teammates. Ocon. Perez. I'm going to go with Ocon also. This one I think was looking clear a couple of months ago. I don't think it's so clear now. Will Red Bull dump Renault this year? This year. This year. So it would be by the end of the year, they announce a new engine provider. Yes, and I think they're probably going to move to Mercedes. They're not going to Mercedes. That, that I guarantee you. So I can put that in there, but they're not going to Mercedes. Then maybe Ferrari, I guess. No, if Red Bull moves, they're going to go to Honda. Well, then Honda. Okay. I think they're going to break with Renault and pick up the Honda as long as the Honda does not blow up for Toro Rosso. Yeah, and and that, I think, is going to be the big motivator. Um, If the the Honda looks reliable for the Toro Rosso and look like it's going to produce, I don't think Red Bull is going to think twice. Will F1 confirm a new race, and if so, where? Now, this doesn't have to be 2020 or 21, just a confirmation of an event. New Jersey, and yes. New Jersey? Really? Yeah, because I read an article about how Liberty Media is actually trying to bring back the idea of of that one New Jersey Grand Prix. Okay, well, I'll put it down. Um, I don't think that's really where they're looking to go, but you've got that one. Yes, they're going to announce a new race. At least one. Okay. Um, where? I predict that, I predict A, that they will announce more than one over the next few years. Okay. And at least one of them will be Argentina. You think Argentina? Don't cry for me. I am going with Holland. That's that's my prediction. I, I mean, I think Denmark is, is a strong probability as well, but I'm going to go with Holland. Holland? Hmm. Makes sense. Okay, so the next one. What team will Esteban Ocon drive for in 2019? Renault. You think Renault? I'm going to go with Williams. Mm-mm. The one that he's currently driving with, I think it's Force India. So he's going to stay with Force India, you think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Will Lewis Hamilton announce his retirement in 2018? Now, this is not necessarily, and, and I want to call this out, not necessarily a 
he won't be racing in 2019. He may turn around and say, okay, I'm announcing my retirement to take place at the end of 19, 20, 21, whatever. But just declare his intentions for when he is going to retire. Absolutely not. Okay. No. Yeah, I think we're all going to go with no there. Okay, this next question is the last formal question. And this one came from Phil. Okay. What team or teams, you can go if, you, if you've got multiple teams, you can do it. You can go with that. But what team or teams will report a carjacking or other robbery attempt in Brazil? <laughs> I kind of think it might be uh, Mercedes because they're like the best ones. And so there might be like one of the more targeted ones. Okay. All right. I'm going with a dark horse. Okay won't be a team it will be members of the liberty media uh, <laughs> the liberty staff the liberty staff we will hear of people not on a team but part of the promotion staff being held up and, and or carjacked okay so finally uh-uh uh-uh what, what's yours what team oh you? i'm sorry you're right i i'm saying mercedes and mclaren that that's my vote. Cause I because I think if Ferrari gets held up, they just won't tell us. <laughs> True. <laughs> so that's that's why I'm saying it, it, it's going to be Mercedes and McLaren. Both of them are are, are going to report incidents this year. Okay. So finally, your groundbreaking, shocking story story of note. For the year, and no, you cannot reuse the detonation of the fan experience. No, I cannot. No. <laughs> Shocking big story. I think that we are going to have a major crash this year. Okay. That will be somewhat linked to a visibility issue regarding the halo. Okay, so major crash linked to visibility from the halo. Okay. Um, see, I, I'm trying to decide, do, do, do we talk about a Bernie Eccleston losing his marbles again? Um major story major story i know carmen jordan will be replaced on the world the fia's uh women in motorsport council that's my story that's your story i would argue that that's not a major story no it is because it means that the motorsports journalism world will lose a major major point to mock somebody okay so carmen jordan Jorda replaced on the FIA's Women in Motorsport Council. My re, my revised one is that New Jersey it becomes the new American Grand Prix. Okay, New Jersey is announced as hosting a Grand Prix. Can I have a B story? 
You want another one? I want a B story. I want it to not be the top story. I want it to be a B story. Fernando Alonso wins Le Mans. Fernando winning a that's that's not a bad one. Well, you know what? If you're gonna have that, then I'm gonna use his mine. Fernando Alonso fails to finish Le Mans. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if you're going, if you two are going to have that, I'm going to say that Fernando Alonso participates in Le Mans but does not make podium. Okay. And we didn't have anything about how he will do in the WEC Super Season. We should add, we should add that since you know we don't follow it at all. Be based on gut reaction. <laughs> I think that he will fare very well, but will not win or carry the season. Well, without defining what faring very well means. Top three. Top three. Top three in WEC drivers. Championship. Well, let's give it top four. Oh, you're going to go with top four now? Top four. Okay, top four it is. I don't have any, I don't even know. Okay. Well, if he is in the top four, then I will win all the points. <laughs> well, just for that one thing. <laughs> so now the question is, what will happen during the season? Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. So... Stay tuned as we go through the year. I will put all of these in the vault. I will also go and make a version of this available in uh, hopefully Word format so that you can download it yourself and play at home and see how you do. Uh, we'll tally up all the scores at, at the end of the season. And remember, fantasygp.com. Go ahead and join the league and uh, take join us at with the code of 148. 31491. And uh, we'll see what happens next week. We are so glad you came. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye. Bye bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye bye now. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.